In 2016, a 62-year-old woman living on the fringes of society came into contact with a group of people who she would go on to spend a lot of time with. The woman was homeless and didn't really have many friends, so naturally began to hang about with the group on a more regular basis, even spending the odd night sleeping on one of their sofas. But what had started out as a friendship she believed she could rely on would soon turn into something dark and sinister. Her friends, or so-called friends, were concocting an evil and depraved plan right behind her back. This is Nordic True Crime. Madeleine Delbom was a 62-year-old woman who was, at the time, living on what could be classed as the outskirts of society. She had been suffering from and battling alcohol addiction for years, partly due to the fact that she was no longer in contact with any of her six children. In truth, she had never even met some of them. She had previously been living together with one of her daughters for a period of time, But when Madeleine began drinking to excess, she decided to move out, leaving her on her own. Madeleine moved around a lot, but struggled to settle anywhere. She felt like she wasn't really fitting in, and people never really accepted her for who she was. In truth, Madeleine was actually born male, and had gone through a sex change to make her feel, on the outside, what she was feeling on the inside, like a woman. And many people around her had found it difficult to accept this, which left Madeleine often feeling like she was an outsider. But she did try to tackle her own demons, firstly by trying to get sober. In 2004, she met a man at an AA meeting which she had been attending. His name was Thomas. They soon became good friends, and in an attempt to see if people around her would become more accepting of her, the two friends got married. But not long into the marriage, Madeleine fell off the wagon and started drinking again. The situation became too much to handle for her husband, and the relationship finally ended in divorce. Madeleine once again began moving from apartment to apartment, city to city. Her restlessness and desire for acceptance once again began to eat away at her. At one point, she even moved to Norway and managed to secure a job as a bus driver. But one day at work, disaster struck. She was badly beaten and was in the end forced to quit her job. She moved back to Sweden and moved into a trailer at a campsite. 
She again began drinking excessively, whilst at the same time suffering from severe depression. One night, she phoned Thomas, telling him that she wanted to kill herself. Thomas became very worried for his friend, so worried that he called the police, pleading for them to drive out to Madeleine's trailer to make sure that she was safe. When the officers got there, they found Madeleine in a real state. She was extremely upset and asked the police to drive her to a nearby treatment center, which they did. But despite her desperate pleas for help, the center wasn't prepared to admit her because she was heavily intoxicated. So instead, she was driven to the police station to sober up before any decision could be made. The following morning, a sober Madeleine was released, but she no longer felt the need to seek help and never returned to the treatment center. She went back to her trailer to consume more alcohol and party hard. But the partying was too much for the people who ran the campsite, and she was soon evicted. She moved to yet another campsite, but the same thing happened there. She was asked to vacate the premises for her rowdy behavior. She had nowhere to go, but her ex-husband Thomas came to her rescue and offered her the chance to move into a small cabin that he owned, an offer she gladly accepted. After she had familiarized herself with her new home, Madeleine tried to get her life back on track. But as is often the problem with untreated addiction, it didn't take long before she was back drinking again. And as if things couldn't get any worse for her, the cabin she was staying in caught fire and burned to the ground. She was once again homeless. Madeleine soon began to spend more time with one of her fellow alcoholics and drinking buddies, a man who we had decided to call Fredrik, someone who she had known for roughly 10 years. Fredrik had helped her out in the past when she had broken her pelvic bone, buying food for her and helping her get around. But one day, Madeleine noticed that money was missing from her bank account. Two withdrawals had been made to the total of 4,000 Swedish crowns, around 425 US dollars. It was money which she couldn't account for. She cancelled her bank card and reported the theft to the police. She suspected that it could only be one of four people who had accessed her account, so she passed the names on to the police but it wasn't long before she started receiving threats. She became scared for her safety and well-being, too scared, in fact, to continue with the case, and the charges were soon dropped. It was around the same time that Madeleine began hanging out with a group of people who she had met through Fredrik. It was a mixed group of 11 people, both men and women, from the ages of 20 to 46. They referred to each other as brothers and sisters and were a particularly tight-knit group. 
However, the group consisted of very dysfunctional people of varying levels. Many of them had problems with alcohol and drugs. Some had been in trouble with the police for minor offenses, and some had learning disabilities. And very much like Madeleine, they too were social outcasts. The group stays together mainly consisted of drinking or taking drugs, or figuring out ways of getting money to pay for their habits. As Madeleine had once again became homeless, the group would often let her sleep on their sofa, and the more time they spent in each other's company, the more they got to know one another. After time, Madeleine secured an apartment of her own. It was a small one-bedroom flat, but she was happy because it was all hers. Through spending so much time with her new friends, it had become apparent to the group that she, unlike them, had a healthy bank balance. At the end of every month, she was paid criminal victim insurance as compensation for the vicious assault she was subjected to whilst working as a bus driver in Norway. Added to that, she had also been receiving insurance money after the cabin she was living in, which was owned by her ex-husband, had burnt down. Madeleine was always a person who did her best to help others out, despite her own problems, and it wasn't long before people within the group began borrowing money from her. When Thomas heard about the amount of money she was loaning to people, he began to worry that his ex-wife was being taken advantage of and tried telling her that she was far too trusting of people she hardly knew. But she wanted to help people whenever she could and disregarded Thomas's advice. But what she did do was keep a book of names which showed exactly who owed what, probably because the sums of money she was loaning out began to get bigger and bigger. Sometimes people paid her back as soon as they received money of their own, but many didn't. And eventually, Madeleine became tired of waiting and told those who were in debt to her that she wanted her money back. She even tried to make a deal with a 46-year-old man called Pat Olof and another man in the group. She wanted them to make a 26-year-old man called Joachim to pay back his debt. And if they succeeded in doing so, the money that they owed her would be considered payment for their services. But there was one thing which Madeleine didn't realize about the group. How loyal they were to one another. Instead of telling Joachim to pay his debt, they told him about Madeleine's offer and discussed what to do about it. What they really meant was just what they were going to do with Madeleine. One evening, a member of the group, 24-year-old Martin, phoned up 21-year-old Daniel from 20-year-old Benita's phone. He said, quote, We could use your help. My help. We need someone who is fast in and fast out. Fast in and fast out. Yes. We will enter from one way and you will enter from the balcony. And then you just have to be as fast as hell. 
and just take the bank card and run out, or be fast and strike her in the head with the axe. Oh yeah, is that so? Yes. Is the pay good? Is the pay good? Yeah, Benita said that you can sleep with her during Easter. They then laughed and joked for a while, before Daniel asked if they could carry out the planned attack the following day, since it was his day of work. He was indeed one of the few in the group who had a job. But Martin replied that it had to be done that night, and they soon made plans to pick him up later that evening. Some time had passed, and Benita phoned up Daniel to make sure that he wouldn't pull out of the arrangement. She said, quote, Are you starting to have doubts? Me? No. Good. We can rely on you. Yeah, whatever happens, no fucking talk. No, that's what we all said. On the evening of the 16th of June, 2016, they drove together to Madeleine's apartment with the intention of killing her. It was really late and they were hoping that she would be drunk when they arrived. But when they got there, to their surprise, she was sober. This discovery seemed to have caught the group off guard and their plan began to fall apart. They all were invited inside where they chatted for a while before leaving and driving home. But by the next day, the members of the group had already hatched a new plan. Per Olov called Madeleine and asked her if she wanted to go fishing with him, but as it was raining outside, she declined the offer. He changed tactics and told her that most of the group were going out to have a barbecue by the lake later that day, and that she was more than welcome to drop by. This sounded much more appealing to Madeleine, and she gladly accepted the invitation. They then made arrangements to pick her up later in the day. After Paolov had hung up the phone, someone then used his computer to Google how to commit the perfect murder. Paolov and some other members of the group then went to the local shop to buy food, snacks, cider and two bottles of vodka for the barbecue. But that wasn't all they bought. They also purchased a flagpole line, black plastic bags and a knife. Just a few minutes from the house, lay a lake with a small picnic area consisting of benches, a wooden wind shelter and a small fire pit for grilling food. Half of the members of the group were already waiting at the picnic area as the others drove to Madeleine's apartment to pick her up. And it was around this time that a text message was sent to Pat Olof's phone. It read, We got her in the car now. Yippee. Blood. When everyone had arrived at the lake, the charade of acting as if everything was normal began. They had a few drinks and grilled some meat on the fire pit. Madeleine had brought her digital camera and they all took turns to snap pictures of each other. One of the images showed 21-year-old Daniel Viberg Wahlgren, 20-year-old Benita Hockenen and 26-year-old Joachim Hessling 
holding their cans of cider up, cheering each other, seemingly in a happy, joyful mood. Another picture showed Madeleine standing by the lake, smiling at the camera. To an outsider, it would have looked as though they were all having a really good time together, feasting on the grilled meat and having a drink or two. But it wasn't long before the mood changed. Joachim initiated a heated argument for Madeleine, claiming that she had called his girlfriend a whore. He became really angry and started screaming at her. Some of Joachim's friends pulled him aside and tried to calm him down. But what they were really doing was taking him away to discuss how to finally kill Madeleine. However, there was one thing that the group hadn't thought of. They didn't take into account the amount of people who would be at the lake fishing that day. They knew that they couldn't have any witnesses to the crime, so it was then decided that the murder had to take place elsewhere. The men returned to the rest of the group and suggested that they should all drive to a historical execution site which was said to be haunted. Everyone was excited about the idea of a ghost hunt, but there was not enough space in the car for all of them, so it was decided that some of the group should be dropped off at home first, before the final trip to the site was made. One of the people to be dropped off was Benita, but she didn't want to miss out on what she had helped to put into motion. So she sent a text to Martin, saying that she wanted to be there when it happens. So she was driven back to the barbecue. Joachim then took 46-year-old Mats aside and asked him to remove the dog guard that separated the booth of the car from the back seat. Joachim and Daniel then sat down in the booth. Benita and Martin sat in the back seat with Martin's girlfriend sitting on his lap and Madeleine sitting in between them. Per Olof sat in the front passenger seat and Mats was the driver. The positioning of the group members and Madeleine in the car was vital to their plan. Both Benita and Martin were bigger than the others, so they were going to hold Madeleine back if she tried to resist the attack. After driving around for a while, Joachim and Daniel leaned forward from the booth and put the flag pole line around Madeleine's neck and yanked it in a backwards motion. But it got caught in her mouth, so Benita and Martin pulled it down, placing it around her neck. And then Joachim and Daniel pulled back the rope with all the strength they could muster up between them. During the brutal attack, the car stereo was blaring out a song called Forever Angel, a song about brotherhood, loyalty, and doing everything and anything for the people who mean the most to you. It was the group's unofficial anthem. And as Madeleine fought for her life, kicking, screaming, and gasping for air, the group sang the lyrics of the song as one.
The next stop was at an old abandoned mine shaft, which had since been filled with water. The plan was to dump Madeleine's body there. On arrival, Joachim jumped from the vehicle and dragged Madeleine's lifeless body from the car to the ground. But he soon noticed that she wasn't dead. She was still breathing. It was then, without any hesitation, that Joachim began to viciously stab her all over her body. When the frenzied attack was over, he walked over to the grass and tried to wipe the blood from his hands. Someone then shouted that Madeleine was miraculously still alive. And it was this that really set him off. Filled with rage, he marched back over to Madeleine and stabbed her several times in the chest and on the head before finishing the attack by cutting her throat. Joachim, Daniel and Martin wrapped black bin bags around Madeleine, dragging her under the fence that surrounded the old mine and dumped her body in the water. They all watched together as she sank into the dark water out of sight. They then drove to another lake where they washed off the blood and changed into clean clothes. It was at this same lake where they discarded the murder weapon. Benita then called one of their friends who had been driven home earlier before the murder. She said, quote, Finished. Later, another friend phoned and asked, Was it fast? To which Benita replied, No, but we can talk about it when I get back. Some of the group was then dropped off at home, but Benita and some others drove to a shopping mall to withdraw some money from the ATM using Madeleine's stolen bank card. Benita then called Per Olof. The conversation went as follows. Do you want anything from McDonald's? Did you get any money? Yes. How much? Eight. Eight? Okay. I asked you if you wanted anything from McDonald's. When Benita and the others returned to the house they had brought food with them, which they all sat and ate together. Food which was paid for with a stolen credit card that belonged to a person they had just hours earlier brutally murdered. The following day was spent at the shopping mall. They went on a shopping spree, buying clothes and other expensive products with Madeleine's credit card. In the coming days, the credit card would be passed to different members of the group who would all use it to buy things for themselves. At one point, since they had a spare key, they even went to Madeleine's apartment to steal items from her home to sell for money or just simply for the reason that they thought that they could do what they wanted with her belongings. But it wouldn't be long before Madeleine's ex-husband Thomas started to get very worried. Not only had he not heard from her, she hadn't turned up to a pre-arranged trip to the mall to go shopping together. And when he couldn't get hold of her, he called the police and reported her missing. 
10 days or so after the report was made, Madeleine still hadn't been found, and most of the group believed that she probably never would be. But Benita was worried and decided to drive over to the old mine to have a look, and on arrival, she received a massive shock. A shock which sent her into full panic mode, because Madeleine's dead body had now floated to the surface of the lake, and the black plastic bags were now fully visible. She phoned her friend and said, quote, She's floating. What? What are you saying? She's floating. Oh my god. But but the good thing is it, it doesn't look like um it's it's nothing you would pay any attention to. She's floating. Later, she also spoke to Pat Olaf on the phone. He said, quote, That wasn't a fun conversation we had earlier. I had almost put it all behind me. But now I'm nervous that some fucker will find her. Many people have a hard time keeping a secret. And for 11 people to keep the same secret is near impossible. Some members of the group started to boast to other people about what they had done to Madeleine telling others that they had to cut her head and arms off before dumping her in the flooded mine shaft. But one of the men who they had recounted their story to, a man called Peter, questioned the decision to dump a body in water since it would most likely float to the surface. They made him an offer, an offer of 150,000 Swedish crowns roughly $16,000, to help move the body and bury it elsewhere. But he wasn't interested in helping them, and instead phoned Madeleine's ex-husband, Thomas, and told him what he had just heard. Thomas immediately contacted the police, and Peter helped to identify the people who were boasting about the murder. The first of the group to be arrested was Benita, And when they apprehended her, she was carrying two credit cards on her that belonged to Madeleine. They also confiscated her phone. And the investigators couldn't quite believe their luck when they realized what she had installed on the device. It was an app which recorded all of her incoming and outgoing calls. All the conversation she had had in regards to the murder of Madeleine, were logged on the app. Unimaginable evidence tying her and the others to the crime. Benita first denied having anything to do with the murder, but it didn't take long before she confessed and gave the names of the others involved, with a total of suspects being 11, every member of the tight-knit group. In the end, only nine of them were charged and convicted on the 10th of February, 2017. Amongst them were Joachim Hessling, who strangled and stabbed Madeleine. He was sentenced to 17 years. Daniel Viber Wahlgren, who helped strangle Madeleine, received 16 years. Martin Broling, who sat next to Madeleine in the car, 
and who together with Benita helped put the rope around her throat when it got caught in her mouth, received 16 years. Per Olaf Höflinger, who had been in the car and helped plan the murder, received 14 years, and Benita Hockenen received 12 years. 11 people planned and plotted to kill their friend, and not once did any of these individuals try to stop it from happening. Instead, they all went along with the idea, believing in some warped and twisted mindset that killing Madeleine would be of benefit to the group of misfits. Madeleine Delboom lost her life because 11 people she considered to be her friends simply didn't want to repay her the money that she had loaned to them. Instead of admitting to her that they simply didn't have the finances to pay her back, they decided that it would be better just to murder her. (laughs) 